Hi, hi Jesse. It's Chris from Durban in South Africa. Congratulations on five years of set lusting Bruce. Not only has it been great listening material, but it's also been the catalyst for many new connections to other Bruce fans. Here's to the next five and more. Welcome to a new episode of Set Lessing Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am Jesse Jackson, and here is a, another episode where we are celebrating our five-year anniversary. Over the years, I've had a lot of different guests on the podcast, and I thought I'd grab a few um, clips from different shows, share them with you now and uh, to give you a taste of what kind of discussions we've had over the past five years. Bella is joining me tonight. We're doing one of our album ranking episodes where we take a Springsteen album and a guest and I sit down and we go through every song on the album. We rank it from least favorite to most favorite, not necessarily worst to first. To no one shocker, Bella is talking the Seeger <laughs> Sessions American Land Edition, correct? Yes, as I, correct, as I was putting together the list, I was like, you know, it's almost counterintuitive to have me on because every song I'm like, well, the Pete Seeger version is better. So I don't know how I can possibly rank them because Pete Seeger, you know, some of these songs are just, Bruce doesn't really, he doesn't do as well as Pete would do. So <laughs> I apologize, my my views are a little colored by how much I love Pete Seeger. Okay, number two? Um, my number two is Bring Them Home. I've already said a lot about it, but I just I want to highlight one more thing in the Pete Seeger version, if you don't mind. No, um, of course not. Pete Seeger has a line that's, I may be right, I may be wrong, but I've got a right to sing this song. Um, and then, of course, because he's Pete Seeger, he stops and he goes, that's the beautiful thing about America. You've got a right to be wrong which is really powerful coming from someone who faced jail time because Congress didn't like the things he was singing about. So I just, I really love this song and I like the Bruce version as well, even though the secret version is better. And today we are doing a first for the podcast. I am having a friend, a fellow Bruce fan join me from Russia. Uh, so Kate, please introduce yourself. Uh, hi, I'm Kate. I'm yet exactly the Bruce fan from Russia. I know that I'm not the only one. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, kind of um, I work as a translator. I've been uh, having fun with Bruce mm -hmm. since 2009, been to 11 shows since then. And I just a lover of music and life since a very young age. So, yeah. That's what kind of made you, I mean, as you started listening to the lyrics, was there a point where you went from being a casual fan to a bigger fan? Yes, there was. Actually, before I say that, a little remark on the voice. I think that for rock and roll artists, it's really the most important to have a distinctive voice. You mm -hmm. know, the voice you can recognize. 
nice when you hear the million voices. You can certainly know that this is Rod Stewart, this is David Bowie, this is Bruce Springsteen. I think it's it's more important than to have a like voice, the, the, yes. the great singing voice per se. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, going back to me <laughs> growing up, growing to be um, a bigger fan. And after this, you know, Devils and Dust thing, I thought I'd just go to the music store. You know, we don't have much of many of them anymore, but there were at the time, like 10 years ago, we still have music store with vinyl and CDs. And I remember just going through the all the shelves and I chose uh, Born in the USA just because of this front cover, I think. It, it was so, so, I don't know, it's so unconventional to have such a picture on the front cover, I think. <laughs> and I remember I just, I just take this CD, I just listen to it. And I don't know, it sounds ridiculous, but it's not my favorite album, but it's an album which has a lot of songs I love. Hi, I'm Janie Fino. I'm from Yorktown Heights, New York, a lifelong Bruce fan. But um, this album that we're going to talk about is, I hope, uh, you know, I go by connections to Bruce's music. This this is one of the albums I think I connect the most with, but it's not always the way I want to, if that's a good way to explain it. It, it, it is, Jeannie, and we are, we are talking The Rising. This album has a very special connection to me. The Rising Tour was the first show I saw Bruce in. I said that, yeah. And so this album um, means a lot to me. The first mm-hmm. album I truly connected with on mm-hmm. this, as, an, as a true spring nut, as to the space. Okay. So, yeah, so I, right. that's, I'm looking forward to talking about it. What do you remember when it came well, out? Well, it's funny. Speaking of spring nuts, you yeah. know, this whole new – dynamic that's been happening as, as in, my, in my life with Bruce, you know, becoming a spring nut and meeting like just one great person after another, making all these connections. I, th- I think all the time about Bruce's music on a, it, it just, on a daily basis, it's something I, I turn to. And with The Rising, you know, I just lost my dad in August. The Rising to me represented the connections, like I said earlier, not always a connection I want to think about. And it, becoming a spring nut and meeting all these different people, it's like turning on all these different channels, I would say, of the Bruce in me. And a lot of new stuff is like coming to light to me. For the rising, you know, I always have my place, Bruce always had his place, like I said, the Bruce in me always has its place in me on a daily basis. Kind of like, Go with the music that makes me feel good some days. Go with the music that's fun. Go with the music that makes me think. Whatever, whatever. I find, I find a way to use him in my daily life. But the rising is that reality that, unfortunately, I had to face as a New Yorker after 9-11. I was terrified of the whole scene. My daughter was only 13 at the time. I felt like life was completely different. We had two close calls in my family. We were spared. I don't know how else to explain it, but just timing, miracle, whatever you want, however you want to say it. So I didn't personally lose anyone in my family, but friends of mine did. And it just, life just took a different 
a whole different perspective. Of course, Bruce, when we needed him, came through with the album, but I didn't connect with it until I had to. I was happy to hear him making music. We watched the telethon that night with my city ruins as a family, but I found that the meaning of the songs and and what he was trying to give us with this album hits me in pieces a little at a time. So I'm finding now that those connections are still being switched on. It's the album that I call it my hope album, but it's also the the, the songs in it that I go, oh, that's, oh, yep, got to face reality about this, got to face reality about that, and then find a way to move forward. Bruce said, it was in one of the, I think it was in songs, he says something like, um, death along with everything, all the anger and, and, and the loss that comes with it, it, it provides a window of possibilities for the living. I don't, I don't know how else, how else better to describe what it means to me, what it, the connections it means. And I use this in my work. I'm a psychotherapist. And a lot of what I do is trying to help people see, first of all, the reality of what's happening to them, accepting, and then feeling, at least believing that there's a possibility that something will get better. So that's kind of what the Rising album did for me. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining me today is Springsteen blog royalty. Peter always hates when I say that, but the reality is Peter Chanka, Blogness on the Edge of Town. If you are not reading his blog, you don't know squat about Springsteen. Welcome, Peter. Well, thank you, Jesse. How nice to say. I always enjoy doing, doing your show, as you know. Yes, we do. We always have a lot of fun. Last time we were on, you were going to celebrate your anniversary. Thank you for including one of my Springsteen stories in your guest columns. Oh, it was terrific. We're so happy to have it. Yeah. So, uh, and you just finished uh, another massive poll of tours. We did. You know, at least once a year, we like to, you know, bite off more than we could chew and uh, ask a a question that um, Springsteen fans can answer. Last year, we did, you know, we, we rated asked people to rate the best Springsteen song ever. That was the most massive thing we ever did. This one was a little more manageable um, to name um, his most legendary tour, and we narrowed it down to 23 separate tours he's done over um, his his long and illustrious career. And it was really interesting. I don't know if you want me to reveal the, the big winner. Well, this um, is not going to come out for three or four weeks. I am, I am, yeah, so this will not be a spoiler, uh, Peter. I'm, I am right. trying to get ahead of in a couple episodes, so yes. Um, and, and we did announce it last week, so it is not okay. a secret uh, at, this, at this stage. Dark, the Darkness Tour uh, won by one vote came in first place, um, followed immediately behind by the River Tour, the most recent River Tour, uh, which, I, which that I thought was surprising. I wasn't surprised to see Darkness finish first. It's such a legendary tour, and I think, you know, just the lore of it, uh, the, you know, the legend, I think, in, in so many people's minds, you would have a lot of people voting for it who maybe weren't necessarily there, but who've heard the bootlegs and who... Um, have heard the stories and feel like this is the, you know, when you talk about the legend of Springsteen, right. um, the darkness tour comes in first. But then, you know, to have th- this most recent tour come in so close, and we got about 2,500 responses or so. I think it was three 310 for the darkness tour and 309 for um, 
the River Tour, and I think it's just, it, it's so fresh in everybody's mind, so many people saw it, and the shows, particularly at the end, they got so long and so epic um, yeah. that it really is, you know, part of, of you know, right, right on the top of people's consciousness and when they think of a legendary Springsteen tour. So you can check that out on the blog. You see all the, you know, the order. Every tour got at least a couple of votes, or at least, at least one, I think two or three. I had better days at number two. Okay. Uh, um, so we flip-flopped. So, again, go ahead. Um, the, this is, you know, and again, this is an interesting one because, at the, like I said, at the time, I was like, you know, I don't want to hear about your better days, you rich, you rich rock star. I want yeah. you to be thinking about the worst days, you know. I want some dark, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, questioning and blah, blah, blah. And now... I listen to this song. I love this song. You know, it's like this is this is what it's about. You know, realizing what you have when you have it, which is such a rare gift. Um, and uh, he just does a great job of capturing that. And like, um, you know, the other two songs I mentioned that are similar, you know, Leap of Faith and, and Living Proof. You know, it, it captures this very joyous vibe um, that you know is just just contagious. So that that moved it close to the top for me. Yes. How you doing, John? Hey, Jesse, doing great. Glad to be back. I understand you may have taken a trip to New York recently. I did. I am I am fresh off my trip to New York. It was 12 days ago tonight that I had the opportunity to see Springsteen on Broadway and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I was going to say, um, any thoughts uh, that you want to share? Um, I went in with very high expectations, John, and did not leave disappointed. How about you? You know... Jesse, that's exactly where I was. I, I, I went with high expectations and uh, definitely expectations met. You know, I will say, you know, like people say, well, how many how many concerts have you seen? And I know sometimes people roll in that Broadway show. I, I really would say I've seen 25 Bruce Springsteen concerts and one Broadway show because I think it was a really unique experience. It was it was different than it was different than a concert really because of the spoken word and the extended stories that were throughout the show. And, and once again, I mean, people realize that it, it, it truly is scripted. Uh, in fact, the two ladies sitting right next to my wife and I, actually, they were long. They were friends from a long time ago. One of them now lives in Philadelphia. The other lives in Boston. They met up in New York to go to the show. And they actually went to the show back in October. We had a real good conversation while we were waiting in our seats. And then as we were all walking out, I kind of tapped one on the shoulder and said, hey, it was great talking with you before the show. And she said, you know, by the way, this performance was even better than what we saw in October. And I was kind of interested that she said that um, because, once again, it's, it's kind of the same show. But then I noticed uh, once I got back to Phoenix and just in the last week, Backstreets.com, they kind of did a review, an updated review of Springsteen on Broadway and I can't remember if it was Christopher Phillips or someone else, but they said the same thing. They said that they think that Bruce has gotten better with his pacing of the stories uh, since the early days. So it, it truly is. It truly is more more of a you know one person Broadway performance as opposed to the the, the traditional uh, uh, concerts that we see. Do you think this fandom of Bruce Springsteen is unique? Or different than other bands fandom and you know do we think it's unique because we're in part of this or do you actually believe there is something a little bit different about Bruce fans 
That's a very, very good question and something I've talked about with uh, fellow fans uh, over the years. And I guess un unless we're involved in kind of like multiple communities, I mean, you know, you're, for example, you're a big fan of Doctor Who and, and, uh, and that sort of thing. Um, you might say that, you know, in your case, you find a similar um, experience and a, a, a sort of comparable um, sort of, you know, richness of community. Um, for me, it's hard to say because, you know, uh, the, the, the Bruce world is probably the, the biggest thing in my life in terms of my, my social community, my musical community. And so I personally have very little to compare it to. But I remember, you know, we've, we've met people over the years. Um, I seem to remember there was, uh, there was an occasion I was with some fellow Bruce fans and we bumped into some, some uh, folks who were waiting for, a, I think it was a, it was a Cliff Richard concert or something like that. And it kind of struck me for one, one of the first times probably back then that, you know, actually, the, you know, these, these guys, you know, are into it in just as big a way as, as we are. And maybe for them, it is as special. It's not, wasn't anything that meant, uh, meant much to me uh personally but uh, i recognized and respected the, the devotion and dedication that was going on what i've always felt is is different is that um regardless of how uh strong the feeling is amongst the fans what i never cease to be amazed by and and, and respect is what seems like the response coming from bruce and his his band and people and the people around him, I've always had a sense that, that there's a genuine interest and, you know, even care and concern in most cases that I've had um, over the years where it feels like, yeah, they're, they're as, um, uh, as, as sort of aware of, of us as we are of them. And I don't know if that's something you've heard from others as well. <laughs> so. Well, I, I tell you, Jesse, I, I envy you that your that your wife will uh, keep you company on your in your Bruce tours. My my wife had a <laughs> my wife had a traumatic experience at a Bruce concert back in two thousand seven. Is it shareable? <laughs> Is it yeah shareable? Okay. It was uh, yeah, we went to Milan, and um, I had always wanted to see. Uh, I I had already had a chance to see him play on the Secret Tour in Italy, and I was just completely blown away by the fervor of the crowds. It was just beyond anything I've ever experienced anywhere. If you haven't had the chance to see Bruce play in Italy, um, you, you should, because it's just a completely whole other other level. Um, and so I had arranged um, to for, for my wife and I to spend like a long weekend in Milan, um, and, you know, they said, the only thing that I really, you know, we'll do anything you want to do. Uh, I just, you know, I want to go to the Bruce concert one night. And she was like, okay, that sounds like a fair trade. Uh, and so um, the way that it worked, at least at the time, I don't know how they do it in Italy these days, but the entire arena was GA, all of it, like not just the floor, everything. The only reserved seats they had in the whole arena was like one lower level section that was completely opposite the stage. And the only reason you would get tickets there was to be seen. That's like where all the celebrities would go, which was odd to me because I'm like, those are bad seats because you're about as far as you can get right from the, the stage. So, you know, when I figured this out, I'm like, all right, well, I want to get a decent 
seed. I wasn't going to make her do the pit because I was a little worried about the, the, you know, the, the, the energy of the crowd. Um, so we, we went and we, we waited and it was kind of like a rainy, cold day. It was, uh, it was late October. And, um, by the time they were getting ready to open the doors, the crowd was immense. I mean, like there were just tens of thousands of people kind of all out there. And I remember they opened the gate and it was like a, like a literal stampede. People just pushed in and like ran into the arena and were like leaping over the seats from row to row to work their way down rather than go through the aisle. I'd never seen anything like it. And my, my wife is trying to hold on to my hand, right? I'm trying to bring her with me. And literally people are like pushing and stepping on her. And it was just, uh, I mean, I'm laughing because there was some uh, comicness to the scene, but it was scary at the time too. And she kind of, we finally like made it in and had decent seats, but she was like, I am never, ever, ever doing that again. That was like the most traumatic, like a concert should not be like this. I'm not doing this. You have fun. <laughs> you go on your own. I'm done. And that was, that was kind of it. <laughs> I don't blame her. That's, that's, <laughs> that's it. Talk about, uh, running with the Bruce versus running with it, the Bulls. It really, it right? kinda, yeah. It felt like the running with the Bulls. I mean, it was, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> um, like, like I just had no, I, I was not prepared for what that was going to be like. And, mm-hmm. you know, she wasn't either, obviously. So, um, yeah, that, I've been I've been going to shows with just friends and stuff ever since. Well, you said you had a Springsteen star for me, so I, before we forget, I want to make sure we get that in, and then I've got a couple other just generic questions for you as you um, kind of talk about your um, long career, and I I just want your opinions on stuff. But you said you had a Bruce story for me. Yes, we can call this. Uh... Story time with Uncle Barky. There you go. <laughs> so this was back. Uh, I'm from Wisconsin originally, and after I got out of the military, uh, I eventually, uh, you know, I majored in journalism. I was a reporter for the Daily Cardinal, which is the uh, University of Wisconsin student paper newspaper based in Madison. And on the night of October second, 1975. A couple friends and I journeyed to Milwaukee, it's about a 70-mile drive, to go see Bruce Springsteen at the Uptown Theater in Milwaukee. And we were there, we were up in the balcony. We had kind of the cheap sheets, seats, rather. And this would, this theater would be comparable to probably the Majestic in Dallas, okay. uh, capacity-wise, relatively small venue, you know, 800 to 1,000 people, whatever, but not obviously the huge arenas he ended up playing in, and stadiums and so on. So we're in the balcony and uh, oh, about 15 minutes into the show, they announced there's been a bomb scare and we have to vacate the building. And everybody's groaning and Springsteen assures everyone that Come back three hours or so later. We'll be here. I guarantee you. Come on back now. Make sure you come back. So we did. And sure enough, they were there, probably pretty oiled up. Yes. uh, (laughs) As were we on various substances, whatever. Yeah. In fact, he says, I've seen her audio. There's actually an audio tape of when they first came back, the first song, Little Queenie, where he's (laughs) riffing on going to the Fister Hotel bar. And drinking. Hey, there we was. 
ran back to the hotel.
just full out. I don't know how he does it, <laughs> how he's up there yeah. for four hours at that fever pitch performance level always. But uh, I'll never forget that night. And, gosh, that was so 1975. Oh, and I got to review the show, too. I wrote a review uh, for the Daily Oh, Card, wow. I have to dig up. If but you dig that up, audio, I'd love to show that, yeah. There is audio of uh, the first. There's no video that I'm aware of of that concept, but there are a few still pictures. And there is audio. If you just Googled, uh, I think, Bruce Springsteen, Uptown Theater, mm-hmm. you get you can get them doing little Queenie and him talking about, are you loose? And we were drinking our skulls out at the, uh, the Fister Hotel bar and all that. So there, it's about nine minutes, and uh, as a Springsteen file, I know you'd enjoy it. So oh, I would. Just, just so, Google Uptown Theater, Bruce Springsteen, and you'll find it. My name is Howie Chaz from Brooklyn, New York. Great Bruce friend, as I'm sure as many on your show, and really, really happy to be here, and I appreciate you know even asking. And I think the song, I mean, I'm always pretty sure, and I was thinking about it over the weekend, the song was Jackson Cage. It just came on. And when it has that opening beats and, you know, the guitar that just, you know, it's like impossible not to just turn around and say, you know, what the heck was that? I started listening a little bit more and a little bit more. And he says, take these albums home with you and just listen to him. Trust me, if you like The Who, you're going to love this guy. And I said, okay. You know, again, I was only 13 and I knew Hungry Heart was on the radio, but that was, you know, more of a popish thing for me and you know i liked it at the time but you know i wanted to see what this guy was about um my uncle said he saw him at the palladium in 78 you know during the darkness tour and he says Mm -hmm. you'll know so he gave me born to run darkness on the end of town and he gave me um the river i started with born to run little by little i saw how you know for a 13 year old i can't really get the profound lyrics that he was doing at the time i got instantly hooked when Backstreet's came on. Yeah. And when that song came on, I think I must have played it like a hundred times because it, first of all, it had something to do, like, you know, I was 13, I was hanging out in parks and friends and I had that connection to the song where I was like, wow, this is me. Then I started, I hit Jungle Land and that just blew my mind. So once those two songs, you know, um, came on and then I did, I became my obsession started <laughs> and it was never looking back. I got into darkness just as much and the river was, you know, awesome. What I used to do is then used to go down to, you know, I'm, I'm not you know, sure if you're familiar with it, but, you know, we in Manhattan, there was the village. Okay, sure. And the village is where all these, you know, specific uh, record shops are there where you can go get your bootlegs. Okay. Bob, Bleaker, um, it's called Bleaker Bob's, and there was another one called Revolver, and I used to go there weekly and just, you know, buy Bruce bootlegs. So what I used to do also when I came home from school, yes. I used to go, go straight to my room, and I would lock my door, well, not lock it, I shut my door, put my guitar on, I, uh, what I would do is start playing my own, I would lip sync to the Bruce concert. Yes. You know, what would happen, 11 o'clock at night. And I think I'm being quiet and I'm just doing the <laughs> silent version of this. My father would bust through the door and tell me, you know, <laughs> it's 11 o'clock and I can hear every word you're saying. And I didn't realize I was being that loud. But, you know, that just shows you how much you just lose yourself in in the, in the music and in the, in the uh, 
you know, the performance that he does. I, I really became an obsession where I think my uncle, who, like I told you, introduced me to it. Right. But sorry that he did, <laughs> because to this day, that's all I talk about with him. You know, he never thought that he would be creating this monster that he did. I am Rabbi Arye Burke, and I am a Bruce fan, uh, along with many of my brethren. Okay, well, okay, so Rabbi, talk to me about your Bruce journey. Tell me how you first found Bruce, um, and, you know, when was it? What kind of drew you to it? Talk to me about your origin story with Bruce. I, I have to admit that I have been searching my memories, and it's really disjointed. I can tell you that the the memory that sticks out the most is that in the either in the 12th grade or whenever the river tour was originally, what was it, 1980? So somewhere in the last few years of high school, when we had licenses to drive, we lived in Hamilton and Toronto was about an hour away from us. And the concerts all went to Toronto. You either played in Maple Leaf Gardens where the hockey team played. And that's where I saw a lot of concerts. I saw Sticks there and Rush. Um, but I mean, Bruce was playing Maple Leaf Gardens and a friend said, um, let's get some tickets and go. And I think it was the middle of the week. And I said, listen, and he goes, he goes, and the selling point was, he goes, yeah, it's Bruce Springsteen. He plays for three or four hours. It's going to be amazing. And I said, well, it's an hour to drive there. We're not going to get home till like one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. We got school the next day. And I said, nah, I'm not going to go. And I have regretted that decision because I probably would have been a huge groupie then if I would have, I liked the music. I liked Bruce. And I thought, wow, it just doesn't sound, make sense. You know, I have to go to high school the next day and uh, go see this concert an hour away in Toronto. And I texted my friend and I said, remember that concert you offered me to go to? And he said, yeah, I think it was the River Tour. So now I'm finally going to get to see the River. He took a girl instead and he said, you know, it, uh, it didn't work out that well for him that night either. <laughs> but but uh, it's funny that he did see Bruce and I, I really, really wish... I would have seen Bruce in Maple Leaf Gardens. It was a great venue for uh, concerts at one time. Oh, that's uh, amazing. So when did you get to see him? Uh, so I did not get to see. So so many years pass and many other concerts happen. And the only other memory I can remember from uh, is I think it was the time not on records, but on cassettes after A-Tracks when my parents got one of my brothers or myself the 1975 to 1985, like Bruce collection. Right. Was it four cassettes or something like right. that? The live. And, uh, yes. Four or five. Yeah. So I remember, I think my brother got it. He's getting him to let me listen to it was a problem. So I liked the music. I remember when the, you know, I remember Courtney Cox being put on stage when videos were just coming out. All those things were, you know, great memories, but I don't think for me, I came back to Bruce very much like you did from listening to your podcast I didn't go see him until the um, after the rising for the first time. So not until the, in the last, you know, 10, 15 years. And the rising for me, even though I had the other music, after 2001, Bruce spoke to me by producing that album. I, I don't think a record has ever reached out and grabbed me of, you know, I don't think he intended it to reach out and grab me in the way it did, but I was just re-listening it to it today just to uh, get me in the mood for the podcast. And something about that album seemed to heal um, after the terrible, terrible tragedy and the terrorist attack 
of 9-11. I don't know if enough has been said about the healing power of a record. And The Rising for me was amazing to be able to hear in words from this poet talk about talk about human beings, talk about our feelings, talk about the healing process and in beautiful songs. Um, so for me, that's when I came back to Bruce and then all of a sudden everything started being repurchased, you know, albums that had been warped in a garage somewhere, cassettes that no one listened to anymore. I started, you know, downloading things and buying MP3s of uh, concerts or uh, of, of albums again. And so that's when I started my recollecting of Bruce. Sometimes technology causes problems. I have recorded episodes that I thought were being recorded and they weren't. So we had to go back and do a second one. Uh, I have recorded episodes where my guests did not feel comfortable with English. So I had to email them the questions. They emailed me back sound clips where I, um, with the answers, and I had to insert. But when I was talking to Richard Hunter, who is used to be a talk show host here in Dallas, he does a wrestling podcast, great guy. We talked in the car, on, he was on a driving uh, from Los Angeles to Vegas, and um, he was in the car and we talked for a long time. When I got the, looked at the tape, none of my side of the conversation recorded. So here is a few minutes of me talking to Richard Hunter, and you'll hear the sound sounds a little different. I had to recreate the questions that I was asking him because I had his answers, but not my questions. Yes, yes. Yes, because when you see him in a, and and I, I, I had the, you know, the, the privilege of experiencing this last week because as I always, you know, go for the floor and, and get, uh, you know, the lottery ticket and, and hopefully get in the pit. Uh, unfortunately, this, this past week, I drew the worst number I'd ever drawn. I was, I was within, uh, I was, I was within about 70 people of being the very last person let onto the floor. But that being said, that being said, it was still such an incredibly up close and personal experience. I was, I was on, uh, the, the other side of that second stage, you know, that runs out that strip that runs out to the middle and it was still, and she was like, oh, my God. She's like, this, I feel like I was on the front row. And that's what he does. He condenses uh, exponentially whatever venue he's performing in. If you see him in an arena, it feels like you're seeing him in a small club. If you see him in a theater, like we saw the acoustic tour, it feels like you're watching him play in someone's living room. In fact, I remember seeing you after that Grand Prairie show, and you said this is what you felt him doing a lecture at a college tour would feel like, you know, as he told stories and talked about the reasons why he wrote songs. Um, your 26 shows, have you ever seen him overseas? No. The furthest I've traveled, Canada, I also saw... Uh, this was a unique experience. Uh, in the late 80s, I saw him in Philadelphia headline the Amnesty International tour. That was him, Sting, Peter Gabriel, and uh, Tracy Chapman. And uh, that was very cool. 
So, um, you know, my experience with, with, with him have all been domestic. They, they a lot of times have involved multiple nights. And one of the things that I've always enjoyed about seeing him is the fact that because he knows there's a lot of people that are going to see him multiple nights, uh, those shows vary greatly in terms of, you know, switching up the set list. And that's one thing that was kind of unusual about this river tour is obviously you're getting the river beginning to end uh, in the, the, the first two thirds or so of the show. And it's really that last third that is in question as far as uh, what you're going to get that's any different. But, um, yeah, that's always been one of my favorite things about seeing him. There you go. Just a few clips from past episodes. If you have an episode in the past that you'd love to hear, um, sec- look at my archives. Check back. You can only go to 100 episodes on iTunes, but if you go to setlustingbruce.com, uh, you can go back and look at all episodes. And specifically, if you're curious about one and can't find it, email me and I'll get it to you. Thank you for now. Hope you're enjoying the anniversary celebration. Uh, the month of September, we'll continue to have some fun. Got some more cool episodes coming up. So thanks, everyone. Doing a podcast at times can be a one-way conversation, and I hate that. So please let me know what you like and don't like about the work I'm doing. You can reach the podcast via email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter, at setlustingbruce, and my personal Twitter is at jessejacksondfw. We have a website, www.setlustingbruce.com. From there, you can find links to other Springsteen podcasts, as well as other music-themed podcasts. We have a page devoted to our own SLB All-Star Band. These are guests who have been on the podcast more than three times. There is a link to our store where you can purchase Set Lessing Bruce shirts, as well as a Mary Question t-shirt. There is a link to our Patreon page where you can sign up to help support the podcast financially. We have different levels and different rewards based on your support. If you don't have any extra cash, and right now who does, you can support the podcast by subscribing via your favorite podcast player and leaving us a review. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find us. And please tell a friend about the podcast, especially if they love Bruce or music, because it will make a difference. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only. Set Listing Bruce. Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 